So I'm Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, and you're listening to the True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Governor Tom Wolf won re-election last November with 57% of the vote, overwhelming his Republican challenger, Scott Wagner. The governor and I get together every year before the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce to engage in a discussion simply called a conversation with the governor. I'm allowed to ask him anything. Politics, as you will hear, is just the starting point. Here now with the first episode of the new True Philadelphia podcast is my full unedited conversation in front of a live audience with Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. I do. Governor, Matt. thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll be recording this for a podcast. I'll uh, tweet some information about this later in case some people would like to listen to our conversation later. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Uh, congratulations on your reelection. Thank you. I was trying to think of a phrase to sum up your campaign, and I came up with this. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I like about this. You laugh at the latest jokes. So did you learn anything about the state, about yourself, and uh, how did it compare to your uh, first campaign? Well, I, it, it was it, a, a governor's term limited in, in Pennsylvania, so, so it's the, the only time I could run for re-election, and I'm, I'm very satisfied with that. I'm not sure why any um, body in public life would be against term limits. <laughs> We've been through this before. Explain to me how a state that President Trump carried in 2016 was able to reelect overwhelmingly its Democratic governor and its Democratic U.S. senator. I, th I think the people of Pennsylvania are looking for um, leaders they have some confidence in, some trust. And I think they're looking for competence uh, and they're looking for integrity. And uh, if they don't think that the people running, uh, give them that, they're not going to support them. And if they think, on the other hand, that they do see some uh, areas where they can trust the person, they'll vote for that person. If Scott Wagner came up to you before his campaign and asked you some advice, what would you tell him? <laughs> I've known Scott a long time. We're both from York County. Sure. So, so um, you know, we basically just ask each other a lot of questions. But I don't think we give each other too much advice. Was the Alex Trebek debate a little strange for you? How, how, how was that? Debate? <laughs> it, I mean, it was like tough getting a word in edgewise. Uh, it was an unusual uh, exercise. So you'll leave it at that? Yes. Do, do you feel the, the, the voters deserved more than one debate from its governor's race? No, I, I didn't. And, and I, I think uh, both uh, the uh, Wagner campaign and my campaign made a big effort to, to get our views out and, and the distinctions between us. Uh, and, and I think that's what's important, that in a democracy, people need to make sure that when they go to vote, they understand what the differences, what the contrasts are. And I think they, they had that. And one or two or three or ten more debates would not have changed that. You mentioned you're now term limited. So the idea a lot of people have is that, well, now this is Governor Wolf unshackled, unleashed, and he's going to go in there, he's going to be brash, and he's going to be bold, and he's not going to care about what people think. And I haven't gotten that sense from you. 
as to that's going to be your temperament. Well, no, I'm, I've only been in politics for four years, so this is not my life, my whole life. And, and I, I got into it because I wanted to make uh, Pennsylvania's political system better. Uh, and, and that's what I was focused on. That's what I cared about, and that's what I still care about. Uh, so I, it, it's not that, that I, I have been liberated by not having to seek re-election. Uh, I have more time to focus on the things I really like about this job. Uh, but I, I, I care about the same things I cared about three years ago. The legislature has fewer Republicans, but it's said to be more conservative because of the loss of some moderates and some uh, people coming who have, are, are more conservative. How is that going to change the way you deal with the legislature? First of all, I'm not sure that these labels make that big a difference, but I think the chamber, each chamber is probably more liberal. Uh, the Republican caucus, which is the majority caucus in both the Senate and the House, is more conservative. Um, in, in terms of changing things, the, the same leaders are in place. Uh, majority leader in the House is different because the former majority leader resigned, retired. Um, but I think um, the, the relationships with the individual members of leadership on both caucuses and both chambers are pretty much the same as they were uh, in my first term. So you don't see much of a change in negotiation or I between you and the legislature? I think we had areas where we disagreed before. We still do. We had areas of, of common purpose where we felt we could, we could actually come up with some things that we could agree on, and, and I think we did over the last four years, and I think we still have those areas. So I'm looking forward to working with the legislature. Who wants to talk about the budget? The, the sexy Pennsylvania budget. Um, Why are they all falling asleep? <laughs> one, of, one of the things that really sticks out is your request for a shale severance tax, which you've asked every year. This is not your fifth in, year. Not in the budget, though. Uh, yes, so it's outside of the budget. Right. And what you do is you offer a carrot where the money that comes in, you would offer to pay for some capital projects around the state. Are, is the legislature going to bite on that? I don't know, and I wasn't trying to create anything that was, I was just trying to make a point that we, I mean, you all know that the severance tax is something that, that everybody in Pennsylvania pays. It's just that the money that we pay when we buy a gallon of gasoline or a piece of plastic goes to places that have a severance tax, like Texas and Alaska and Oklahoma and Louisiana. It doesn't come to, to Pennsylvania. Uh, and if we have a, a reasonable severance tax, as I think they do, it's in line with what the other states do, then we can get Texans and Louisianans and Alaskans and Canadians to pay for the things that we think are important. So that's the first thing about this, this severance tax. Even the independent fiscal offices, the overwhelming majority of this would be paid for by non-Pennsylvanians. But then I tied it to specific things that, that we, we know we need. Last year, as you all know, we had a lot of flooding here in Philadelphia County, Upper Darby, uh, Bradford County, Schuylkill County, York and Lancaster County, Dauphin County, uh, and out in the west, Allegheny County. And I would go out to these places. And every time I'd go out, um, you'd see people whose lives had been completely changed by these floods. Their homes had been washed away. I mean, devastation, tragedy. And I, all I could say was, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And... I wanted something that I could say, okay, the state actually can do something now. Because all we had was the ability to say, if we can get this flood damage to rise to a, a certain level that passes muster in Washington, I think it's $19 million of damage, 
they could declare a disaster and you could get some money from the feds to, to help dig out from, from this storm. With these localized storms we had last year, rarely got to that, that threshold. And Pennsylvania didn't have any money for that. So here is something that we can go out and say, I can do something to, to help you get back on your feet. You go up into northern tier Pennsylvania and, and parts of Philadelphia and people don't have access to the internet. This is the 21st century. Let's do something about that. Let's invest in, in getting, making sure that every Pennsylvania has access, big access to, to the internet, to broadband. And that's what this, this is about. So instead of tying this to some amorphous thing that might go through the general fund, I separated from the budget and said, let's use this source of funding and let's, let's dedicate $4.5 billion to really making lives better. You have flooding, you need internet access. Here in Philadelphia, we need pad, uh, site, pads to, to you know, consolidation so, so that manufacturers can come in and say, you know, here, here's land that you can use right here. This is, this is what we could use this for. It would actually go directly to these folks. So uh, it was, I wasn't trying to sweeten anything. I was saying, we need this. Here's a, a source of funding that would really uh, not only not hurt anybody, but actually help us bring money in from outside, let's do this. Are you concerned about the pipelines and the behavior uh, that's been taking place, the sinkholes, the idea that the Chester County DA has opened a criminal investigation, uh, said that there, some companies were hiring what he called muscle at the scene of some of these sinkholes? Yeah, I'm concerned, and and I want the, the gas industry to be wildly successful in Pennsylvania because that'll make Pennsylvania successful, and and part of that is to make sure that we have ways to transport materials like gas from one place to another, uh, but you have to do it right, uh, and we have a lot of people who are constructing pipelines who are doing it right, um, some are not, and as you might know, on Friday I yeah. shut down that pipeline. No new taxes in right. your budget. Right. Something you're proud of. I'm, I'm proud of two things. One, that, that I could actually make over half a billion dollars of new investments in things that all of us think are important, like education, like training. I could do that at the same time, do it in a way because we have managed, and I say we, not the royal we, but the, the administration, members, leaders in the administration, we have managed agencies so that we actually can deliver good public service uh, at a, at a more efficient, in a more efficient way so, so that I can balance the budget, not ask for new taxes, and still invest half a billion new dollars in the things that are going to make our lives better. During your inaugural address, you said that you want Pennsylvania to be a place where we don't wait around for Amazon to move here because we're building the next Amazon. That's a pretty big statement to say you're building a company that's going to have a, uh, an enormous market cap bigger than you know, maybe ever before. How many of you from Pennsylvania? Put your hands up. Yeah, look. So am I wrong? We should be very proud of our state. I grew up here. I was born here. And, and I keep saying this. If, if, if you just sort of, from an objective point of view, just looked at all the states in the union and listed their attributes and then looked at them, Pennsylvania would be the dominant state in this country. We have two world-class cities. This country started here. It was, the Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed here, and it was reaffirmed in blood at the Battle of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. This is an, an amazing place. I built a big business here, 
and uh, was headquartered in New York, and, and the, a, a lot of, of our workers were Pennsylvanians. This is a great place to, to do business. There is not one thing that I would not be proud of. It's, it's a beautiful state, it's a big state. It's, a, it's located in one of the best places in the world, smack dab in the middle of one of the richest markets in the world. So I keep trying to use this position and the bully pulpit to keep saying, hey, come on, Pennsylvania, we're really great. We don't have to brag about it, we don't have to be arrogant about it, but I think we ought to have the self-confidence that we have a lot of good things going for us, and that's what I was trying to say in that inaugural address. Was HQ2 a sham? I don't think so. I, I think they were really looking. I think we learned something from, from doing that. And I think one of the things we've learned is how good we are. Uh, we have some things we need to do. I think the, the workforce readiness that, that the chamber and right and left have, have uh, come together on, uh, we recognize we have more work to do there. And I think Amazon sort of reinforced that. But in the course of looking at what we do have, I think we could also take great pride in the fact that two of Pen Pennsylvania's two major cities we're both finalists uh, in the uh, Amazon list. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Apparently, Amazon is reconsidering the New York City site because of public opposition. Do you foresee <coughs> reopening the, the game and maybe getting back in? Or have you I'm gotten always, a phone call? I'm always talking. Always talking. OK. <laughs> I'm always selling Pennsylvania. <laughs> Are you happy with the state of the roads? We have snow coming in. It's going <laughs> to. <laughs> We, we have the temperatures are going to be fluctuating. We're going to have more potholes out there. Uh, I, I know the pothole thing is a huge issue, particularly for people in this part of the state. Are you happy with the state of the roads, the state roads? I'll never be happy with the state of the roads. The, the, uh, and as you know, last year we had some really tough storms. I know every, every politician will try to, to um, justify the potholes. But... We actually found $183 million in, in savings from contracts, money that had built up over the last three years, and used that to, to um, uh, patch roads. Uh, and it was just that, patching. And in fact, I went out and, and participated in two or three of those patching expeditions, um, which I think proved to me that I should not be doing that. <laughs> but but uh, we, we have a, a lot of work there. Uh, thanks to work that, that was done before I became governor, Act 89, uh, we, we actually have, uh, uh, in this chamber, uh, we have money that uh, we can invest in, in, in bridges and, and roads, resurfacing and fixing bridges. We've gone from, I think, dead last in the country in terms of substandard bridges and, and bad roads to... Uh, we're probably not very far from the bottom, but we're not at the bottom anymore. So we're, we're making some progress, but we have a long way to go. You propose a per-resident fee for municipalities who use the state police for police protection. This has been an ongoing issue for a lot of communities and how you know a lot of this money should be used to go to improve the roads across the state. In, in, in that proposal, are you trying to, A, get a lot of these towns to simply create their own police forces, or B, are you trying to maybe have them look at doing a regional police force, which we have seen happen in some parts of the state? No, I'm trying to get them to pay for what they use. I mean, we all know there's no such thing as a free lunch, and, and one of the, the artifices of Pennsylvania's statute is that if you want to have the state police cover you, your municipality, you can have them do that for free. Well, come on. 
there is no such thing as a free lunch. And so if, if more and more municipalities have the state police cover their territory, uh, two things are gonna happen. One is you're gonna have fewer uh, people covering, or the same number of people covering more territory, and you're gonna have that money come from some other pool. Well, the money, the pool it comes from is the pool that should go to fixing bridges and roads. Uh, Act 89, uh, you know, put money in for uh, state police, but more and more has gone to uh, support state police uh, to, to fill this role for free. So what I proposed two years ago, starting two years ago, was just, just flat fee, just, okay, $25 per person. Uh, if you want to do the state police rather than your own police force, that's your decision as a municipality, but it's not going to be free. You have to pay for it. And uh, this year, trying something, you, you know, trying to uh, make it a little more palatable, I think, and that is to say, okay, let's, if you're a really small municipality, it'll still be free, but if you have a certain level of population, it'll be this, and, and the, the fee will grow. At its maximum, the fee will still be less than any municipality, I think, would pay on average uh, for police coverage. Uh, but it's something that, that will go to, to fund state police uh, academy classes. It'll be something to say, we aren't gonna be rating the money that would go to fix bridges and, and highways uh, to pay for this. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not really trying to get, get people to stop using it. I'm not trying to get them to do anything other than just pay for the service that they want. Governor Rendell proposed putting a toll on I-80, and that fell flat. Have you ever discussed <laughs> proposing that again, doing a trial balloon of some sort? to try and create new revenue. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Flat out no. I'm not, I've only been in politics for four years, but you know, I've learned some things. The, the Philadelphia School Board, it's been nearly a year since its formation, uh, the end of the uh, SRC. Uh, are you happy with what you've seen so far with the Philadelphia School Board in the district? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, first of all, I was a strong supporter of local control. Every other school district, I think, in Pennsylvania is controlled locally. There are some uh, school districts, a handful in distress that have a temporary receiver, but, but the, the idea is that, that your school district is, is under local control. And so I supported that. Um, I, I also support um, more funding uh, from the state for all school districts, including the school district of Philadelphia, and I think we still have a ways to go to get to that. So I know Bill was talking about putting money back into the uh, school system, uh, but Pennsylvania remains uh, fairly low in the rankings in the country in terms of the state's funding its share of, of public education, um, and that affects school districts all across the Commonwealth, including right here in Philadelphia. So I'm not happy with, with where the state is in terms of, of, of uh, of investing in, in its school system. The state college system, the chancellor uh, said it's not a pretty picture. Is, have we gotten to the point where we really need to consider perhaps closing some schools, making some schools more like major specific rather than offering a broad you know, liberal arts education? Uh, I don't think we're right there yet. The, the, I think what Matt's talking about is we have a new chancellor of the state system of higher education. There are 14 state universities from Westchester, Cheney, Kutztown, Kutztown, Millersville, Shippensburg, all across California, Slippery Rock, uh, and 
uh, he uh, comes with, with amazing credentials. He was with the Gates Foundation uh, before he came to Pennsylvania, and I helped recruit him. And one of the, the interesting, the things that interested him was that, that we do have problems. Every institution of higher education right now, there's a demographic trough. So everybody's struggling with, with that reality, demographic reality. Um, and so um, th that's something that, that this person would have found wherever he went. But here, there's a chance to basically reinvent higher education. And, and I think that's what uh, attracted him to, to Pennsylvania. Uh, and it's what I find exciting about you know, this, this particular time. Let's, let's figure out uh, what we need to do. It's not a pretty picture. We have a lot of work to do. We have to, to change a lot of things around. But we can make the state system a, a model for higher education. And I, I'm not sure why we shouldn't be trying to do exactly that. Um, if we have uh, the plan, uh, and, and he's working on that right now, uh, and, a, and a strategy and vision for, for where higher education ought to be in that state system, there's no question that I think uh, the uh, General Assembly, the people of Pennsylvania, would be very supportive of that. Could you see a contraction in the number of schools across the state? Of, you mean in the state system or just generally? In the state system of the 14. I, I don't see that at this point. I mean, I, what I see is is a uh, there are 107,000 students in those 14 schools right now, uh, and the families of those students uh, are looking for in each each case looking for a good education. Um, I mean, one of the first things he did when he got here was go around and and, and meet with students. Say, what are you here for? What are you looking for? And they're actually looking, obviously, to to get a degree, but but they're looking to to put themselves in a position where they can give back. I mean, he was, he was really impressed by the, the, the caliber of the students. And I think we do them a disservice if we come in with the things that let's just sort of do another slash and burn. Let's see if we can figure out uh, what higher education ought to look like so it really plays to the desire of those students to have a better life, to do something that allows them to contribute back to the society that gave birth to them. They were able to convince Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman to wear a tie for the inauguration. You're not giving <laughs> me credit. <laughs> Maybe you were 90% you're of the convincing part. You have, so you're going to send him out on a statewide tour to talk to residents about recreational marijuana. It's something that you uh, see the state perhaps doing uh, during your term here. I, I'm not promoting anything. I'm, I'm asking the question. I think. The lieutenant governor has his own. By the way, Eugene DePasquale is here from York County. Uh, John Fetterman grew up in York County. I'm from York County, so there's a there's a pattern here. But uh, he he he's actually going out to, to find out what what the people of Pennsylvania think. And what I was I wasn't really trying to to start spark a new direction for Pennsylvania. I was saying let's let's take account of the reality that New York State is now moving in the direction of legalizing recreational marijuana. The state of New Jersey is moving in the direction of legalizing recreational marijuana. Now we can do one of two things. We can duck our head in the sand and just ignore what's going on around us, or we can just put our heads up and, and ask what, what is happening here, and, and uh, is it time for us to start thinking uh, differently about this? It's a question, it's not an answer. And, and that's all I'm trying to do, and I think he's, he has his own ideas about what he wants to do, but this is really a listening tour. Will you seek uh, counsel from medical professionals on this as well? Sure. Every, actually, 
He's going to 60, all 67 counties. He's building, creating a website so that people who aren't, don't have the, the time or doesn't fit their schedule to, to, to become part of the, that, that listening tour can directly uh, send their ideas into uh, the, uh, uh, his task force uh, and, and we'll look for any other way and, and expertise from whomever. I think one of the other things, we're, we're looking to other states to see what, what their experience has been so far in this. So yeah, we'll ask everybody. I know that marijuana and opioids are different, but does the idea of making recreational marijuana legal conflict with the fact that the state has an enormous opioid crisis as well? Uh, one of the questions I think uh, that has come up already is does this uh, conflict with the legalization that we've already gone through of medical marijuana and that there's some concern that people will conflate the two. Uh, and medical marijuana is, is actually a, an effort to uh, give doctors in Pennsylvania, along with doctors in I think 29 or 30 other states at this point in the country, uh, uh, the ability, another option when they're treating patients. Um, so, you know, the, I think that's a bigger concern. I, I don't know that there's, um, to, to what extent maybe we'll find out with this listening tour, that there's um, a general concern that, that recreational marijuana is, is going to be worse or better, the same as, as uh, the opioids that are now legal. Okay. Uh, you're proposing raising the state's minimum wage again mm -hmm. from seven twenty-five to twelve dollars by I'm July. To, I'm proposing again; it has not been raised in a long time. Yes, yes. Um, the independent fiscal office predicts that raising it to twelve dollars would mean thirty-three thousand lost jobs. Yeah, I'm not sure that's true, but that's what, let, let's go with that. They they also believe that there are a million people who would would have uh, an increase of some sort uh, with with that. So. Uh, that's a big increase in aggregate demand, regardless of what you think the, the average rate is. That they're saying, between, I think there are 400,000 people who are now making minimum wage, um, and but between $7.25 an hour, which is minimum wage, uh, and $12 would be net of that 33,000, I think about a million people. So it'd be a big increase in aggregate demand. Um, there are economic studies on both sides of, of this. Uh, I think one, one that, that seems to be uh, at, at the heart of a, a lot of those who look at, at a reasonable increase in the minimum wage is one that was done from, by two economists at Princeton and published by Princeton University Press in the early 90s that, that uh, showed that I think at that point New Jersey had raised its minimum wage, Pennsylvania had not, and they looked to see what impact that had on fast food minimum wage jobs in, in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and found that actually those uh, jobs in fast food industry actually went up with the increase in the wage. And there was some substitution of capital for, for labor, as they would expect. Um, but you also had a lot more people who could afford to buy the products uh, that those, those organizations were selling. So obviously there's, there's a, a healthy debate. What I tried to do with this proposal was say, okay, uh, this is an area where we actually are all paying for this uh, because if you're making $7.25 an hour, uh, you, you actually qualify for public assistance. And if we look at that couple hundred million dollars right now, uh, if we said, I'm going to take the savings, some of the savings, like half of it, and put it into higher compensation for people who now take care of our parents, our grandparents when they're in their homes, 
our kids, home, home care, uh, and people with intellectual disabilities, we're going to raise their compensation. Uh, the net is still about 119 million, I think, the first full calendar year, 119 million dollars in taxpayer savings. So there's always some subjectivity in what is the right level to, to raise the, the, the minimum wage or what level to have it at. Uh, this is a pretty good one that all of us are all paying for the fact that companies uh, who don't pay for that have their employees basically uh, getting subsidized from, from the rest of us. And I think that, that the free market is a free market, not a free ride. And, and I think the minimum wage that I'm proposing would actually get us to the point where we're not subsidizing those companies. You say your worst day on the job as governor was the Pittsburgh massacre. Yeah. And you had the Tree of Life Rabbi Jeffrey Myers at your inauguration gave the invocation. Um, is it time for the state to take a look at its gun laws and to tighten them in any way? Yeah. And Pennsylvania did, actually, the first time in decades. Uh, we passed uh, a bill that took guns out of the hands of domestic abusers. That was in the last session, a couple months ago. Uh, I still believe we ought to have uh, universal background checks, which would plug the uh, uh, Pennsylvania gun show loophole. Uh, I, along with, I think, every Republican and Democrat out there wants to ban bump stocks. Uh, I want to ban uh, military assaults uh, weapons. Uh, those are things that, that uh, I believe we ought to do. I'm not sure we can get all those done, but, but uh, I have called for those for many years, and I will continue to do that. You don't want to run for higher office, right? That's right. <laughs> my, so, my wife and I have been married 43 years. If I came home and said, Francis, let's go to Iowa, <laughs> I wouldn't make it to my 44th. Uh, <laughs> so you, you're not going to run for president, but if Beto O'Rourke or Kamala Harris came up to you and said, you know, we really need you on the ticket, you would just say, no way. That's right. <laughs> I have no aspiration for Have you gotten any phone calls? No. <laughs> and I don't expect to get any phone calls. Uh, should Howard Schultz run as an independent? No. He should not? No. It would, it would lead to the election of, or re-election of Donald Trump? Well, I think that's one reason, but I, I'm not sure that, I think that, that shows somewhat of a cavalier attitude toward, toward the, uh, the American political system. I think I was stretching it a bit when I ran as an amateur back in 2014, um, but I went through the hoops. Uh, and, and I think if, if you're going to uh, run, especially as, a, as an outsider, as a first-timer, and, and go in and reform the system, just don't sort of dabble and say, I'm going to sort of poke in here from the outside. That, that's my opinion. Do you have a favorite candidate? I know no. it's very early. No. Out of the 565,000 <laughs> people who are running. No, um, do you have any reaction to the indictments of John Doherty and City Councilman Bobby Heenan? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the uh, uh, you know, people who do wrong should, should be held to account. And that's true whether they're in organized labor or in a business organization. And, and I'm sure the legal system will, will uh, run its course and, and they will be held accountable as they should. What was the defining issue for your first term and what do you want the defining issue to be for your second? There are a couple of things. First of all, in, in, from the point of view of policies, I think we really need to invest in education, whether you call it workforce readiness, education, schools, uh, but we need, in a limited government uh, market economy, 
uh, government shouldn't try to do everything, as I said in my inaugural address, but it shouldn't do nothing either. And, and one of the key things is to equip people with the ability to function in that, in that market economy. And so that's education, that's training. So I've been focused on that from the time I started running to, to this, this last budget, and I will continue to focus on that. I think healthcare. Uh, I expanded Medicaid when I, within a week or two of becoming governor four years ago, and I still think that's important. I'm looking for ways to make sure that people have better access to, to healthcare. I'll continue to work for that. The opioid epidemic is killing Pennsylvanians. We gotta, we gotta figure out how to stop that. Uh, we've got to make sure that, that we keep investing in, in jobs where it's appropriate. For example, the Port of Philadelphia, the state has invested in the last three years like $300 million uh, and uh, trying to make sure that the, the Port of Philadelphia actually is the great port it deserves to be uh, with the, the right equipment. We have five big electric cranes coming into to Philadelphia. And I think two are already there. Uh, so we'll, I think that kind of thing is important. But I think the, the two other things get back to, to trust. I think um, I want to continue to do what I hope uh, gets Pennsylvanians to trust that their government is competent, that we can actually uh, uh, fiscally uh, be fiscally responsible. And I also want Pennsylvanians to, to trust that the people who are serving them in places like Harrisburg are honest and have integrity. And I think those two things are actually the most important things. If the people of Pennsylvania can't trust their government to be competent and or honest, you're never going to get to a point of saying, let's invest in education, let's invest in this, let's do that. On the other hand, if they trust you, they'll actually, the, the voters will actually say, let's, okay, give them some rope. I don't necessarily agree with that particular policy, but but let's see if it, if it works because this candidate has actually shown that uh, they're trustworthy. How's the job changed you over the last four years? I was going to say I lost hair, but I actually <laughs> didn't have any to start with. I, I, I think I have a, a, a much greater respect uh, for our democratic institutions. That's what the small d. That, that actually the, the voters and, and the citizens of Pennsylvania actually are pretty smart and, and have a clear idea of what they want. Don't necessarily agree with everything that, that I've done, but, but uh, for the most part, um, I, I, I think um, have shown a, a real uh, intelligence in terms of saying this is, this is what we'd like to see. If we don't see it, we're not going to support you. I remember reading when you were first elected how you were the most liberal governor in the country. Are you the most liberal governor in the country still? I don't, I, I don't even know what that means. I, haven't, I have not changed. I, I built a business uh, in York County. Uh, it was headquartered in York County. When I left, we were in 33 states. We had major facilities in Massachusetts and in Georgia, very successful. Uh, and I became, we became successful because we treated people fairly. We treated our uh, employees fairly, treated our customers fairly, treated our vendors fairly. And, and those things actually matter. Uh, sh I shared, what, 20 to 30 percent of my net profit with my employees on top of really great compensation, Cadillac benefits, and that made me a very profitable co company. So I think the pragmatism of fairness is what I believed four years ago, and I believe it right now. If that makes me the most liberal governor in the United States, then so be it. 
moving back to your comments about Amazon, I wanted to touch on Grow PA, which uh, the chamber, it's a, it's a big project with them. Do you foresee some big ideas, some big projects coming to fruition through that? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about that before uh, this meeting uh, with the executive committee. And, and what's really interesting is that, again, uh, you know, my experience in, in business was that, that, that you treat people fairly, that you invest in the things that actually can make a, a real difference. And that's not a liberal or conservative thing. That's just something that actually moves a place like Pennsylvania or Philadelphia forward. Grow PA is a set of initiatives that looks exactly, I'm just saying, like my budget. And, and we, we actually had a really good conversation, which is very unusual to have a Democratic governor and a Chamber of Commerce look at each other and say, hmm, so we sort of agree with each other. And, and I think that's, that's the important thing. It's pragmatic. We can actually move Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, York forward by, by doing these pragmatic things. And I think Roe PA, with its concentration on workforce readiness, education, with its concentration on picking, looking at things that Philadelphia, this region does really well, like precision medicine, uh, uh, looking at things like infrastructure. How do we move goods and people from place to place? How do we communicate with each other? These are things that, that, that the business community, the chamber ought to be looking at, things that government in Harrisburg ought to be looking at. Will the Phillies get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, <laughs> or both? You heard it here. I think they're going to get Harper. I'm not sure about Machado, and and I'm not sure that that uh, you know who just made an offer. Didn't the Yankees just make an offer for him? That That's what we're talking about. Yes. What? What? Why do you say uh, Harper is a better possibility? I think I think the first of all the Phillies can afford Harper. Uh, he's going to be asking for a lot, um, but I think he'd like to come to Philadelphia, and I think he would he would be a pretty good fit with with Philadelphia. Um, uh, Machado, I'm not sure, but but the Phillies are going to be really competitive this year. You're saying Harper is a gritty player, and he'd fit right in with the and a, and a good yeah, a good player and gritty and, and good and, and and I think that fits with the with the Phillies. Are there any Phillies fans here? Perhaps <laughs> a few. Yeah. Governor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and thank you for having me again, <laughs> Governor Tom Wolf. Thank you. Stay here for a second. Thanks to the Chamber for continuing to invite me to this great event, and thanks to you for listening. We have a number of great interviews already planned for this new True Philadelphia podcast. So stay tuned and make sure you subscribe. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Stay true. Stay true.